When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now, and my wife is also with a long in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. My words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. I knew when I saw Zachariah's face as he came out of the temple. What he had seen was so much more than just a vision. The messenger of God brought him this message of, of hope that I would bear a son, and that son's name would be John. John. John means God is gracious. This messenger brought us a promise of fulfilled hope, answered prayer. A promise that is 30 years too late. Barren women have no hope. I used to hope. Back when Zachariah and I first got married, I expected I would be pregnant that first year, like so many of my friends. I simply expected it. And then I hoped for it. And then I prayed for it. It was just supposed to happen. Zachariah and I spent so much time dreaming of our children. Um, they would have his eyes and hopefully my nose. <laughs> How they would have my compassion and his wit. And how we would just share in our joy as a family. After that first year, I waited month after month praying that this month that this month would be the month that God would grant me favor and I would find myself with child. But month after month passed, and my belly never grew. 
My arms remained empty, my prayers unanswered. And there were days and weeks sometimes where I thought, oh, it's finally happened and I'm pregnant. And hope would grow in my heart just a little bit. But I would be devastated, devastated when I found out I wasn't. Eventually, hope just became a burden. Of course, all the while, sisters and cousins and friends are getting pregnant and having beautiful children. And I smiled and I celebrated with them. Truly, I celebrated with them at their joy. Even though each announcement of a baby girl or a baby boy was a reminder that I was still not a mother. Even though I mourned what came so easily to them, just wouldn't happen for me. Even though I couldn't understand why God would grant them favor, but wouldn't hear my prayers. You see, hope is for your youth. When dreams are still dreamed, prayers are still prayed, and faith is untouched by reality. So now this messenger comes and he tells me that I'm with child and that I will bear this child. What am I supposed to do with this announcement? I'm called barren. I've waited for so long, but months have turned into years and years into decades. And my womb has remained empty. I want to believe this promise, but I'm afraid to give in to hope. Most of us know how Elizabeth felt. You may not know exactly what it feels like to want a child of your own and not be able to have that child, or, or maybe you do know what that feels like. But most of us know what it feels like to hope in something, to hope for something, and to have those hopes remain unfulfilled. You know, maybe as a, a teenager, you were hoping to get into that specific group of friends, that group that you thought was the cool group that would give you a little bit of status, and that didn't happen. You know, maybe you've been working on this schooling thing and hoping to get done with that so you can move on into this career that will, will make your life a little bit better, and yet life keeps getting in the way. Maybe you've been hoping for God to send that special someone into your life, that one that you think will just make your life complete, and here you sit another Christmas holding on to hope that is fading away. Maybe you've been hoping for years that your marriage would be better, and yet as you look at it, if you're honest, you would say, you know what, it's getting worse. We keep trying, but it keeps getting worse. Maybe you've been hoping for God to heal you or heal someone else in your life. Or maybe you've been hoping that God would help deal with this addiction issue that's in your life or somebody else's life. Maybe you've been hoping that this past year would be the year that that would be done in your world, and yet it's not. It remains. I hoped and prayed for 11 years that my dad would be healed of leukemia, and he wasn't. I think in some way we all know what it's like to hope and to have those hopes go unfulfilled. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. 
but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. So hope is one of those things that if you think about it, we live and die by. It affects us in so many ways. It affects us emotionally, mentally, physically, even spiritually. And hope can wake us up early in the morning like kids on Christmas Day, hoping that that thing will become a reality for us. And hope delayed or hope deferred or hope unfulfilled can lead us into depression, a place that we wonder, are we ever going to get out of it? I think that could be where Elizabeth was in our story this morning. You see, she and her husband had been hoping for all of their married life that they would have a child. And in that culture, for a, a woman to not be able to bear kids made everybody else in the community think she had done something wrong. So imagine that. Imagine, ladies, if you weren't able to have children and everybody around you thought you did something wrong, that God was punishing you in some way. What a sad label to have. What a, what a sad weight to be placed on your shoulders. And yet that was the weight placed on her shoulders. And, and she had hoped for a child and yet had not been able to have one. You see, in her culture, for a woman to have children meant that was their identity. That was all they lived for. That was what they contributed to their family, to their husband, to their community. And a woman who couldn't have a child was looked at by others basically as if they were worthless and had nothing to offer to their community. So we have Elizabeth, who's past childbearing years, we have her past the, the time when she feels like she can make a contribution to her society. And then this angel comes along and says, hey, you're going to have a, a son. And she's thinking, are you for real? I mean, now? Like, it's, it's not even, like, really possible now. I'm past that season of my life. Like, you're way too late. What happened? And her husband went through this battle of disbelief, and I think she went through that disbelief. As well. And if you've ridden that roller coaster ride of, of emotions wrapped up in hope and then hope unfulfilled, you know what it feels like. Where you climb on the roller coaster and you climb up to the first, the height, and you're excited about the possibility of something happening, and then it doesn't, and you plummet down into depression. And then you hope again that, that maybe it can happen in a new day, in a new way, and you climb again, and then those hopes are dashed again. And you know, after too long of riding that roller coaster up and down, at some point we all go, I'm okay, I'll leave roller coasters for Disney, but I'm just gonna step off of this one. That emotional ride is way too much. And it does some horrible things to our hearts and we don't wanna believe in hope anymore. I think that's where Elizabeth could have been. But at that point in human history, she wasn't the only one who had all but given up hope. There were other people around her who were in that same spot. Actually, her, her people, known as the, the Israelites, were supposed to be God's specially chosen people. And yet they hadn't heard from God in over 400 years. So imagine God not speaking in any way for 400 years, so we have no prophets, we have no scriptures written, we have no angelic messengers, we have no voice from heaven, we have nothing, God is silent. And so they wonder, is God even alive? Is he awake? Is he asleep? 
Does he care about us anymore? So they're in a place of almost giving up hope. And then on what seemed like an ordinary day, an archangel appeared. The angel Gabriel appeared to give news about another baby. And Elizabeth's younger cousin Mary listened as this angel predicted she would give birth to the Messiah, not just any child, but the Messiah. And for all of her life, she's grown up hearing about this Messiah for generations after generations after generations. They've been taught that one day the Messiah would be born. Our Savior would come into the world. And this angel says, Mary, you have been chosen to bear this child, to bring the Messiah into the world. Luke 1, 26 tells us, in the sixth month, Of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asks a question that we would ask if we were in her shoes. She says, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she's now in her sixth month. And then get this next statement in verse 37. The angel says, for nothing is impossible with God. So that thing in your life that you just think is impossible, that thing that you've almost given up hope for, maybe that financial issue, maybe that relational issue, maybe that health issue or addiction issue, maybe that thing you've said, it's just not gonna happen. I think that verse should bring a lot of hope to you and to me. For nothing is impossible with our God, nothing. Is too big. Nothing's too difficult for our God. And I love Mary's response in verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Now, just imagine yourself in that spot, okay? So you're in your early teens, and you've never been married before, never been with a man before, and then this angel comes along and says, you're gonna have a child, not only any child, but you're gonna have the Messiah, And then here she is thinking, that prediction is going to crush my hopes and dreams. Her hope would have been to be married, would have been to have children in a way that would bring her status in her community. I mean, she wanted to be known as a woman who was able to have children and provide that for her family. And yet what this angel was predicting would be a life of disgrace for her, a disgrace It would be worse than the disgrace that her cousin Elizabeth had known. So imagine, around the dinner table one night, she's got to go tell her family, her friends, and her fiancé, I'm pregnant. And oh yeah, 
the Father's God. Like, that'd be a little awkward, don't you think? Like, it wouldn't go over well, and everybody would be going, oh, yeah, what's she been drinking? So nobody's going to believe her, and she's, she knows that. Why would anybody believe me? She would be known for all of her life as the woman who betrayed her fiancé. That would be the label that she would wear all of her life as the community would look at her and say, that's the woman she betrayed. She betrayed Joseph, and he stayed with her anyway. She would carry that weight on her shoulder. And so she says, I'm the Lord's servant. Whatever the Lord sees fit to do, may it happen in my world. So Mary's hope was in God in that moment. It wasn't in her circumstances. It wasn't in what was happening around her. It wasn't in what she might carry and how people might perceive her. It was in God and God alone. And in that moment, God was replacing her hope for a good life, which isn't a bad hope, but God was replacing that and putting a bigger hope in her, a hope of fulfilled hope for all of humanity. And she couldn't even begin to imagine what God was going to do in that moment through her. That after 400 years of silence, after generation of, after generation of people wondering, why do we go through all these rituals? Why do we try to serve this God who won't even speak to us? Like, what are we doing? Are we crazy? After 400 years of that, God was going to break that silence in the most profound way through the cries of a little baby. So two cousins would be born, John and Jesus. One would announce to the world that the Messiah had come, and the other would be that Messiah and bring hope into a dark world. So Elizabeth and Mary would experience hope in ways they could have never comprehended, and through them, God would bring real hope to our world. Luke 1, 57 says, when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed. There's no one in all of your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet and said to everyone's surprise when he wrote, his name is John. And instantly Zechariah could speak again and he began praising God. And listen to what he says in verse 68. He said, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his prophets, his holy prophets long ago. Now, Zechariah is not talking about his son. He's talking about Jesus in that moment. Now, we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And then he looks at his little son. He's holding John. He looks into John's eyes and he says, you, my little son, you'll be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. 
Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. So Jesus is God's promise of hope fulfilled for all of us. It's through Jesus that God broke through the darkness and brought real hope, real hope that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And on the night that Jesus was born, an angel appeared to announce his birth. And that angel said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, I don't know what you are hoping for in your life. I don't know what your hopes are wrapped up in, but your hope can be fulfilled in Jesus. With Jesus, you can find hope for healing, or you can find hope for dealing as you battle a health issue in your life. With Christ, you can find renewed hope for that marriage or that relationship that is struggling. You can find renewed strength as you battle finances that might be out of control. You can find hope for grieving the loss of a loved one or the ache of loneliness that may be in your heart that you're asking God to fill. You can find renewed hope as you battle a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up, something that's got a hold on you and you're asking for it to be removed. Jesus has come to fulfill our hopes, and not just our temporary hopes for today, but our permanent hopes for all of eternity. God wants to revive hope in all of us this Christmas. He wants us to understand a hope that lives beyond our circumstances. He wants us to tie ourselves to who he is and what he can do, knowing that nothing is impossible with our God. He wants us to tie our hopes to him and him alone and to know that hope is alive and well. It can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this Christmas, may we allow hope to be revived in us. And may we be like Elizabeth and say, oh, how the Lord has been so good to me that like it wasn't possible for me to have this thing in my world, and yet God has made it possible. God has been so good. May we be like Mary and say, whatever the Lord wants to happen in my world, I'm okay. He's in charge. Having hope in him is way better than having my smaller hopes. May we be like John and announce to the world that the Messiah has come, that real hope is available for people who put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, there's a Christmas song that we often sing during this season that points to the hope of Jesus. And the song is called, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. You may be familiar with that one. As with many songs, there's a powerful message behind this song. It was written by one of America's best-known poets, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, And he wrote it during a time in his life when he had all but given up hope. And in just a moment, you might hear some jingle bells and little pitter-patter of feet coming in because our kids are about to get in position to to be a part of our service. But while they're doing that, let me just tell you about this song. 
The year 1861 was a year of personal tragedy for Longfellow and for our nation. On April the 12th of that year, the opening shots of the American Civil War were fired, plunging us into a war that took the lives of many Americans. And on July 10th of that year, Henry's wife burned to death in a tragic accident. I mean, he was there. He watched his wife burn to death and he tried to stop it. And in his attempts to, to put out this fire, his face was severely burned, his arms, his hands were burned to the point that he could not even go to her funeral. His trademark full beard grew as a result of his inability to shave after that. The following year, Henry's oldest son was severely wounded in the Civil War, and it appeared that he might die. It was on December 25th, Christmas Day of 1862, Longfellow wrote in his journal, a Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. He'd lost hope. When he looked around his world, all he saw was, was darkness. He lost his wife in a tragic, tragic accident. He was right there. His son had been severely wounded in the Civil War, and he's watching his, his country be torn apart by this needless battle. And he looks around, and he just sees hopelessness. And we aren't exactly sure how Longfellow's hope was rekindled, but two years later, on Christmas Day, he wrote the poem Christmas Bells that later was turned into a song. And in the midst of his hopelessness, he found hope again in kind of a, a strange place. Here are just a, a few lines from that poem turned song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. How about another quick applause for those kids? Didn't they do awesome? They, they did an amazing job. So hopefully when you hear Christmas bells this year, you'll be reminded of our hope that's in Jesus. Now we're going to celebrate communion together in just a moment. And the reality of communion is that when we come to, to communion and we take the elements, we are reminding ourselves that our hope can only be found in Christ and Christ alone. We're reminding ourselves of what he has done for us and that God has fulfilled all of our hopes and that one day Jesus shall return for us. Now let me tell you what we believe about communion here at Epic. We believe that communion should be open to anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Whether you call this your church home or not, if you have at one point in your life put your faith in Jesus, then we not only invite you to participate in communion, we encourage you to be a part of this incredible 
element. If you have young children with you, it's up to you to decide whether your children are old enough to, to know what salvation means, to know what it means to, to believe that Jesus died and rose again for them. If they are old enough to understand that, if they have done that for themselves, then I encourage you to have them participate with you. Now, here's how we're going to take communion Today, we have several tables up front to appear at the front of the stage, and then we have two at the back of our middle seating section. And in just a moment, I am going to pray, and when I finish praying, then you're going to be free to get up out of your seat and move to one of those tables. And as you come up to the tables, you're going to notice that there are little pieces of bread. You're going to notice that there are little cups of juice. And I encourage you to pick up a piece of bread, encourage you to pick up a cup of juice, and then step to one side because there'll be people coming behind you. And pause for just a moment. Thank God for the hope that he makes available to all of us through the reality of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And that one day he's coming back again. So have a a moment where you pause and pray. And then go ahead and eat the bread while you're there. Go ahead and drink the juice. And then there should be some trash cans around the tables for you to drop your cup in. And then you can go ahead and be seated. On, see, in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So communion is about us announcing that God in the flesh came to die so that we can live, that real hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray together. God, what an honor it is, what a privilege it is for us to partake of communion. Last meal that you had with your disciples, something you said you weren't going to engage again until your return. So Lord, we have the privilege of carrying on a practice that's been happening throughout the world in Christianity for over 2,000 years. We are reminded when we eat the bread that that represents your body that was broken for us. When we drink the juice, we're reminded that your blood was poured out. It was given so that we could have life. Lord, we're grateful for that. We don't take this moment lightly. And so, Lord, we come to these elements and we're reminded that our hope can only be found ultimately in you, that you're the only one who can fulfill our hopes. Not just for today, not just those temporary things that we're hoping for, but you're the only one who can fill our hopes for all of eternity. So Lord, may we be like Elizabeth and may we say how gracious you've been to us. 
May we be like Mary. Say, God, if you want to replace my my little hope for your big hope, it's okay. May we be like John and may we announce to the world that the Messiah has come. That a real relationship is available with the creator of the universe by just putting our belief in Jesus. May we be like Longfellow, who in a moment of darkness in his own life looked to a higher hope and saw that that God is not dead, that God is alive and well, and that God has brought hope to our world. In Jesus' name, amen. You are free to take communion. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Epic. We are so glad that you're here with us today, and that's pretty funny there. But um, anyways, we are so glad that you are here with us today, and we are ending our year coming up here pretty shortly, and then we are beginning a new year. So I just want to tell you a few things that are happening here around Epic. Uh, The first is we are having no services next week. So if you show up, um, then you could maybe listen to the radio and have service in your car or something like that. But anyways, next week we are not having services uh, as we want you to spend time with family and friends, and then also to honor all of our volunteers that work hard uh, each week to make Epic what it is on Sunday mornings as well. And then also, if you call Epic your home, then there's uh, two ways that you can give, and you can give through our giving boxes located at the end of each section or uh, online at theepicchurch.com as well. And if you want to know about end-of-the-year giving, um, if you give online, um, then please... um, fill out online by December 27th and uh, that should process through and then or you can mail in and postmark that by December 31st as well. And then we have some exciting things coming up in January. Uh, The first is we are having our go trips that are coming up. So we'd love for you to begin to pray about going on those trips. Please check out the website and all the information is posted, the applications. So we would love for you to begin to think about those go trips to Guatemala. And then also we are beginning uh, next year. We'll talk more about this at the first service on January 5th. um, But we are going to be doing a two-week fast to start the year. And so if you would uh, come to that uh, service, we'll fill you in a little bit more, but begin to think about what is it that God would have you to uh, give up so that you could focus more on him as well. And then if you are new to Epic, uh, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us today. We'd love for you to stop by our Connection Center and find out more information about Epic, and you can talk to someone, and then they have uh, some information that they would love to hand you as well. Well, today we are uh, focusing on the hope that is fulfilled in the birth of our Savior. And so before we continue on in our service, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for what you have done. Um, Over 2,000 years ago, God, um, you came. And so God, just speak to our hearts today. Uh, Tell us what you want us to know about you. And we thank you so much for what you did. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.